Welcome to Plants in Our Health. I'm Tom. I'm Helena. I'm Aaron. So Aaron, what theme are we covering this week? The theme for the next couple of episodes is plants on our plates, which is looking at plants as food and how they can nourish us, and also looking at some of the unexpected ways that plants as food can also benefit us. The first guest for Plants on Our Plates is Eleanor Leslie. Eleanor is a community gardener at the Royal Botanic Garden Edinburgh, and the project that she works on most is the Edible Gardening Project. And the Edible Gardening Project was the focus of most of what we talked about, but we also dived into a couple of other things which she works on as well. I'm intrigued. Let's get straight to it. Okay, so thanks for coming on to the show, Eleanor. If you'd like to give yourself a little introduction. Uh, hello, Aaron. Nice to speak to you today. My name's Eleanor Leslie. I work at the Botanics and the Community Engagement with a project called Edible Garden Projects in the Botanics. And it's mainly just to encourage community groups to come into the garden and we can teach them about growing vegetables. Yes, inspiring people how to grow vegetables, you know. Yeah, and the Edible Gardening Project is going to be a big part of what we talk about today. When I met you, actually, you're one of only, I think, two people that I have met since I started my job at the Botanic Gardens. Oh, which is weird. It's weird, yeah, but that's the COVID times, I guess. It is. I have to admit, um, you don't get to see as many people. Yeah, so when we when we met first and I started learning about the Edible Gardening Project, I was thinking back to that recently and was like, that would be a perfect thing to talk about on the podcast. A great way to kind of look at the relationship between the food that we eat and not just as it physically supports us, but how growing food together, particularly is something that's beneficial for our well-being. So obviously food is really important as a social tool and um, the Edible Gardening Project really kind of has that at the centre, would it be right to say? Yeah, yeah, definitely, because one of the missions statements of RBG is connecting people with plants. People like to gather, have lunch together and talk. So we thought, you know, this would be an ideal way of connecting people and plants. It's actually through what we eat. And at the same time, just kind of for people to realize things that we can grow in Scotland, it's almost like from soil to plate, Do you know, all the different stages that it goes through it. And and you're right, talking about you can grow on your own, but it's, I, I don't find it's the same. You get a lot of satisfaction, but there's something about working with a group of people and sharing that food together that really brings everyone in together. They can relax, they can have a laugh forget a little bit about the problems and just enjoying being in the moment, really. So what exactly is the Edible Gardening Project? What do you guys do together? So our project is focused on teaching people skills that they need to know to grow their own food. And it's about sharing horticulture knowledge, skills, enthusiasm for growing food with diverse communities and connect better with plants that nourish us. And are there specific groups that you work with when it comes to the Edible Gardening Project? 
So yes, our uh, usually things like minority ethnics, people who've been adopted or are going through cancer treatment. So it's a very, very varied group. So yeah. So is it really looking at groups which maybe are typically disadvantaged? and finding a way to bring like-minded people together around food and connecting them with the plants that grow their food? Yes, yes, that. And as well, I suppose, because all of our workshops are free, we only, you, they don't have to pay, so therefore it's a bit more accessible. So the, the Edible Gardening Project is workshop-based then? Well, no, um, we do have plots in the garden where I teach them as we go along. So they might come every week or they might come every two weeks and it's for this whole growing season. Obviously, with this pandemic, yeah, it's been a bit tricky. We couldn't have any of the groups coming in. So I've had to do all the workshops by Zoom. But the idea has always been that we have plots allocated specifically for community groups and that community group would be in charge or responsible for a plot in here. And they work alongside with me. So we're learning as we go along. So the best thing, the best thing about it is we get to see the plants growing from seed to mature and then being able to harvest them and eat them together. So it's not just growing them. You also have workshops where you cook together as well with the food that you grow. Yeah. Yeah. So at the end of the season, like autumn time, we'll have a like a feast. Excellent. <laughs> so this project, it obviously has great benefits for everyone who's involved in terms of skills that they gain. But as you were saying, the, there's an important well-being component to the project as well. Was that an initial aim of the project to kind of take advantage of the... The health benefits. Yes, definitely. It's working with people. And as well, we all know that gardening really helps to your soul. You know, just being outdoors for a whole hour, working with the soil, seeing those little tiny little seedlings coming up. All of that is really exciting. And I do think it's plays an important Part on people's well-being because it's very subtle how nature works you can be weeding for an hour or you can be it seems to relax the nervous system that you can actually just interact with people if you're really nervous or anxious whereas normally if you were to go in a workshop and you're standing all listening to somebody and having to engage with someone next to you and do all that where you're trying to do these games of breaking the ice and things like that. I find that gardening is a bit more organic. You're working alongside with people. You get to find out lots of things, hobbies they like, so they can relax. It does help in the nervous system. I guess it's also a bit of a long-term project. You know, people get to work on something together as well. That's the other thing. I, th I think so much is about when you go to maybe now see a therapist or something like that they always talk about six sessions and then they review it but to have a whole season to see things through it really makes a big difference you you see it from the beginning to to the end and you can really develop a more in-depth relationships and yeah um i do think it really helps that as well so have you always been involved in gardening um has horticulture always been your career Yes, actually, I left because what happened, my mum was a very keen gardener and my dad being a farmer, so I grew up on a farm. My mum had a vegetable plot. So we, when we were kids, she used to let us grow some vegetables in a plot. And I always chose things I could eat straight away, carrots and radishes, <laughs> <laughs> raspberries. 
And then when I, yeah, and then when I left school, I didn't. I thought, you know what? I really enjoy being outdoor, but I knew farming life is is tough. You know, it's not that easy. So I went into horticulture and garden design in Chile in South America. And then when I came to London, I did many years as kind of maintenance private sector. And then when I came to Scotland, I discovered community gardening because there's a lot of community involvement in Scotland. And I just from then on, I just loved it. So I have been working in mental health services and Sirenians with the community where it's all about sharing food and then now uh, the botanics. So, yeah, I'm quite um, passionate about I think community gardening really touches in the bit about people and isolation that's what it really tackles it's not about producing enough food for the whole population but I, I do think it really helps with people connecting as isolation loneliness and having this a lot as well when you look at care homes and all that it's all about social interaction as in leisurely leisure bingos and book reading and things like that but gardening is more about task orientated having a reason to do things it's not all just about leisure we we do have a good fun and we have a laugh but there's something about having a task yeah something quite purposeful i guess there's a place for both it is definitely and both yeah. are very beneficial you know okay would you say that even since working on the project and working in community engagement, you've noticed any kind of benefits for your own mental health? Yeah, that's an interesting question, actually. Especially this year when the pandemic and having to work on my own much more, I have noticed what a difference it is. I really miss having the community. So even though we're all in the Zoom, so it's great because we still stay in touch, but it's not the same as being out there. But there's something about just working together as a community. I find it uh, very energizing being able to connect with people. And for me, it's connecting with plants. I wouldn't have been able to do it without the plants. And because the gardens were closed for three months around, I think, yes. over lockdown. And you weren't able to have groups come in to do the gardening in person. So how did you adapt to the changing circumstances? Uh, we didn't even have the volunteers giving us a hand. So it was only me and myself. And we all had to work in here as a bubble. And just communicating with other people is through this virtual wor world. So you had to transform these workshops, which you used to do in person, to a virtual workshop? All of them, yes. So all of them okay. went into Zoom or Teams yeah. And do you feel like the connection to plants is still there and the connection to, well, to each other that you normally get through the project? Yeah, I'd say I was, you know what, I was really um, amazed that people kept coming back. And that was something I kept asking myself all year. You know, by the end of the year, you kind of zoomed out. But people were still coming back to the workshops and I was trying to figure out what it was. And it's about people that you already know. Because these community groups, they already know each other. Yeah. So when we join in the Zoom, they're all saying, oh, hi, how are you doing? How's your kid? And how's your grandparents? And how are you getting on with the pandemic? So there's a little bit of where we connect. Then I give them a, a talk or a chat or information for 20 minutes. And then the other half an hour is questions and answers. So people will suddenly bring their pineapple plants and they'll be showing me their coriander seeds planted on the windowsill. So, so yeah, it did connect us still with plants. 
And I made the assumption, I didn't want to make the assumption that people had gardens. So it was all kind of aimed for windowsill growing. Yeah, I mean, that sounds fantastic. I hadn't realized that people would still be able to maintain such a connection. But of course, home growing is is still a thing. Um, Did you encounter anybody growing anything really interesting at home? Well, there's a lot of people who love all their chilies and they were trying aubergines, but it's quite tricky if you haven't got a heated greenhouse. Uh, they had strawberries, yeah, a lot of herbs. I was trying to encourage them to grow things that they would be successful. So herbs, they did have some tomatoes and they did manage to produce some, even though they didn't have a greenhouse or anything like that. So that's quite good. Since we're talking about the relationship between human health and the food that we eat, mm-hmm. Is there kind of any way that you choose the fruit and vegetables that you grow based on how healthy they are? Mm, Interesting question. I'd say, Aaron, all vegetables are healthy. (laughs) That's true. Uh, The thing, I suppose, yes, there is a little bit of thought behind it in the aspect that I want people to think what they can grow in Scotland. So a lot of people do want to grow cucumbers, tomatoes, and things like that. And I think that's great. But the problem with these vegetables is you do need polytunnels or greenhouses or, you know, infrastructure. Yeah. And all of that, A, costs money, and B, what we're trying to do is actually grow food that doesn't use any of those things. So if you didn't have a polytunnel, you didn't have a greenhouse, how can you still grow really successful? And you can. There's a lot of um, vegetables that come from other parts of the world that have got the same climate as Scotland. So the oriental vegetables, they do really well in here in Scotland. And people might not have tried them. So, yeah, that's my... When I try and steer them to looking at how to choose your seeds and your vegetables, what to grow, it's always with that in mind about being good for the environment. Yeah, good for the environment. and. So do you find that your groups that come along to the project and they learn to grow with you, quite often do they take up gardening outside of the project as well, especially if you're teaching to grow things, which we can grow in Scotland? Yeah, most of them who do join us are interested. Most of them, they probably have never had any experience or they've had a little bit of experience, but they're all interested in learning. So they will take this knowledge somewhere else. There is as well, you were asking me about the connection as well with healthy food and people's well-being there's a lot that goes on at the botanics and there's a lot of research going on on wild vegetables so there's a wild cabbage that grows in scotland i can't tell you exactly where it is (laughs) they've done research on they've actually taken out all the nutrients to see if it's healthier than one that's been bred you know how seeds, we've had seeds that we have created them for a reason to be bigger, bolder, and they might not have as much flavor. Yeah, artificial selection, perhaps? Yeah, yeah. So when they did the test, they realized that actually the old varieties, the wild varieties, they, were more, they had more nutrients in their whole plant than the new varieties. And, and um, if you think about the whole structure of growing food, and if it's abroad and then they bring it in, all of those vegetables have been packed, you know, weeks before. Then they've had to travel for a long time. 
by the time they get here, the the I say they're tired, a bit like us. When we, if I have to take a plane for twenty hours, by the time I arrive there, it takes me two days to recover. And it's the same yeah. for those plants. Vegetables are a living thing when you harvest them. So all all of that process, by the time you get them in in the shelves and the shops, they are already they've lost half of their food content and nutrients. So growing fresh from your plot, it couldn't be any healthier. You're getting not only all the minerals and nutrients, but you're getting all the living enzymes. It's a living thing that you're eating, which is great for your gut. Yeah, absolutely. And you can you can definitely taste the difference as well. My grandfather was, well, still is like, really into gardening. And um, he used to give us vegetables from his garden all the time whilst we were younger. And you can definitely taste the difference. It's a massive difference, I know. If you eat raspberries, so you just pick yourself and then from a shop, it's quite different. And if you think, like, for example, talking about the raspberry, the experience of, you know, I've given people a punnet and I say, go and harvest some raspberries. They come back with, they've harvested a whole lot. And, and that knowledge that gets passed down for generations, which one to pick that way it's ripe, it, it doesn't come... People don't seem to know that straight away if you've grown in an urban city. Whereas I grew up in a farm, my mum would go and say, go and get some raspberries. I'd be tasting the first ones and say, okay, I know these ones are really sweet because they're really red. When I pick them, they come off the stalk really easily. You learn really quickly because you want to eat all those really nice ones. You don't want the ones that are not that ripe. And then not yeah. only that, but you get to put them in your mouth. So you're using all of your senses. You're using your sight. You're using your um, taste buds. You're using the touch, checking if they're right, all of those. And that's why growing vegetables on site with people has such an impact on people's well-being. Because, as I said earlier on, it works really subtle that suddenly you're doing a mindful exercise without calling it mindfulness. You're suddenly yeah. in that moment of picking those raspberries and you're engulfed with the smell of the raspberry leaves that you brush past. Yeah, I, th- I definitely think a lot of us in the cities could definitely use some better connection with the food that we eat and the plants that uh, are growing that food for sure. Mm. And it's a shame that, you know, growing in a city, you lose those opportunities a little bit. But I've seen more and more that schools are integrating growing vegetables in schools, anything like that, that will entice them to try them. But I have to admit, I have had groups of kids coming in and they tell me, no, no, I don't eat any green things, you know. But you pick one of these <laughs> runner beans and because there's something about picking them themselves and then some other kid is eating it. And some other says, oh, this is really nice. It tastes like, you know, buttery or something like that. Suddenly the kid wants to try it. And then he says, oh, actually, it's quite nice, you know. But if you'd put that on the plate, he would go, nah, I'm not, I'm not eating that. <laughs> yeah, there's something a bit more magical when you're seeing it on a plant in front of you, I think. It is. There must be something about gathering food as well. Very um, imprinted on our brain that, we, in, you know, we don't remember. But... Um, and it's certainly it's just good fun, isn't it? Being able to get out there and start uh, picking, you know, things from nature and things just growing and being able to eat them. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And I guess in the olden days as well, you were always taught that some things might be harmful, so you don't pick them. But oh, that's it, true. Yeah, we we definitely shouldn't give everyone the idea that they should just run out into nature and <laughs> start picking all the berries that they see. <laughs> no, no. <laughs> There's a good reason for having that 
ingrained on us not to eat everything. So I think what happens is the kids in the city have got that much more ingrained that actually, no, I, I'm not going to eat something that I don't know. So it's more about anything that they, they don't know, they've never seen before. They don't eat it. But yeah, the more you're introducing it in a way that, as you say, you know, you've got the plant there, everyone's picking them. There's a sense that you feel a safety net around you because other people are picking them and other people are eating them. Yeah. And finally, if there's anyone who's listening who's interested in growing, hopefully you've inspired some people, but perhaps they don't have enough experience, they don't know where to go to start off with. Do you know any particular resources which they should look towards or any vegetables or fruits which are maybe good for first-time growers? Okay, yeah, first-time growers, I always say don't try and grow everything. Just choose three things that you really like to eat. Then find out if those three things that you really like to eat does grow in Scotland. And then that way you only learn to grow three things. And it's not as overwhelming as trying to do it all. Um, we do have meet the gardener sessions. So every Monday and Tuesday in the afternoons, if people, you know, want to come into the garden, there's always a member of staff who can answer any questions. A lot of the community gardens now have got like a Facebook. So if you were in Facebook, you could connect that way or Twitter. And they actually are giving sometimes workshops for beginners. So yeah, it's finding out what's around in Edinburgh and yeah, just join. And go and meet other people and learn from that way, I'd say. Yeah, I mean, the Edible Gardening Project is a fantastic example, but it's also not the only community gardening project out there. There's so many out there, so it's, it's brilliant. What I'd like to see more is more market gardens. So market gardens are all about food production. Yeah, so a market garden is a bit different from a community garden because it's got goals for kind of meeting a certain demand, does it? Yeah, market garden is much more uh, work orientated. So you've got a huge, massive field that needs weeded or it needs harvested or it needs seed sown. But you still work on it together as a community? You do, you do, yeah. But it's much more like maybe not as many cups of teas and things like that, you know? Okay, <laughs> I see. Well, thanks very much for um, coming to chat with us today. And if anyone wanted to follow up anything that you've said, do you have a way that somebody could contact you? Well, the email is elesley at rbge.org.uk. And our Twitter is Edible Garden one because there is another Edible Garden somewhere else. Yeah, so thanks very much for speaking to me today. Uh, that was really interesting. Thank you very much, Aaron, for asking me to come and do this. Something new to add to my virtual workshops. Yeah, indeed. <laughs> I hope you've also yeah, had a good time. Yeah, so no, it was great. Thank you so much. Cheerio. Thanks for listening to this episode of Plants and Our Health. If you'd like to learn more about the Edible Gardening Project or have some follow-up questions for Eleanor, you can reach Eleanor by email at elesley at rbge.org.uk. Leslie is L-E-S-L-I-E. You can also find her on Twitter at EdibleGarden1. And of course, be sure to come back next Friday for another episode exploring plants on our plates. This episode of Plants and Our Health was produced by Aaron Devere and brought to you by Not Another Science Podcast from the Edinburgh University Science Magazine where we explore fascinating themes and ideas, talk to awesome researchers about their work, and find out about the science being done right here in Edinburgh. 
If you have any feedback for us or if you'd like to get in touch with a question or suggestion, you can reach us on our Facebook page, Edinburgh University Science Media, or at our Twitter, at USCI. That's at E-U-S-C-I. You can also shoot us an email at usci.podcast at gmail.com and you can see the show notes and leaf through the latest issue of the magazine at usci.org.uk. Not Another Science Podcast is hosted by me, Tom Edwick, and my partner in crime, Helena Corning. The podcast manager is Alex Bailey. The podcast logo was designed by USCI chief editor, Apple Chu, and the terrific episode art for this series was designed by Heather Jones, our social media marketing genius. Thank you for listening, and until next time, keep it leafy.